will say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning on the subject, the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom flows from a God-given revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? There's two things that are happening here, I believe, in this text. And, of course, we will not exhaust the text, but I want to look at two things that are happening here this morning. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And while most of the people were around Jesus, they were trying to guess at who he was. Some said, you're John the Baptist that's raised from the dead. Others said, uh, maybe he's Elijah or, or one of the other prophets. And uh, it, that seemed to be their answers. It was simply a guessing game uh, for most of them. But only God can give each one of us a revelation of who Jesus truly is. We can uh, go through all of the things that he is to us today uh, corporately, that he is the light of the world, that he is the bread of life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is living water. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the true vine. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Savior of the world. He is the I am that I am. But to Peter, Simon, uh, he was fulfillment of the promise that God had made to the prophets as the coming Savior, that he would be both King and Messiah. And the greatest need that I believe that we have in the kingdom of God today is for his people to have a God-given revelation of who Jesus is to each one of us personally. Who is he to you? Now, when we look at that, we see that, again, you know that I don't believe in weird Christianity. It, it has to line up with the word, right? But he can give you a personal revelation who he is to you. A revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. I'm going to say that again. A revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. There is nothing that you will need that a revelation of Jesus Christ will not satisfy. When we get a revelation of who he is, we get a revelation that he is Savior. We get a revelation that he is healer. We get a revelation that he is deliverer. We get a revelation that he is Holy Spirit baptizer, right? We get that revelation. When we see who he is and we get that personal revelation, there's nothing in our lives that we have need of that a revelation of Jesus Christ will not satisfy. 
And the keys that unlock the kingdom first come from knowing who the divine source is. If you don't know who is in control of the kingdom and you don't know who he is, then, then you will never be able to access the kingdom of God. But everything that pertains to life and godliness comes from and through him. And the only when you have a true God-given revelation of who he is that you did not come, that it didn't come from a book, that it didn't come from somebody else talking to you or telling you about it, but it came from God and it is distributed from the kingdom of God, then you will know who he is personally because if somebody else can merely tell you about God and you do not experience him for yourself, then you will be talked out of anything that somebody puts in your path or in your life. But when you have experienced him, when you know him, when you have had a God encounter, then it will change everything in your life and no one will be able to talk you out of it. Amen. We've got to know who God is. Who is Jesus? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The second thing that is happening here in this text is Jesus says to Peter, now I'm going to tell you who you are. Amen. It's important that we know who Jesus is, who God is, but it is even, if I dare say, even more important that we know who we are in Christ. Because you, it is possible for you to know who Christ is, but you not to not know who you are in Christ and still not be effective in kingdom work. And so he looks at Peter and he tells Peter that you, uh, uh, Peter, have got a personal revelation of who I am. And upon this revelation, I'm going to build my church. What revelation that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And so out of that revelation, the church was established, and Peter has this personal knowledge and revelation of who he is, and he says, this didn't come from a book, this didn't come from a man, this is not a, a dream, this, is, this came from the Father. You have got a personal revelation of who I am. And he said, that revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Most of us have been, have sat in churches where we have been taught much of the first part of this equation of who God is, who Jesus is. And that, of course, is profoundly important. It is of the utmost importance. But one of the most important keys of the kingdom of God that you will ever discover is who God is, who Jesus is. But the second part of that is, is just as important. And he said that many uh, of us know who Jesus is, but we don't know that we're part of the body of Christ. Amen. And you cannot gain access into the kingdom and into kingdom authority until you know who you are. I'm going to say it again. You will never 
gain access to kingdom authority until you know who you are. The enemy doesn't even acknowledge you unless you know who you are. Right? Remember in Acts chapter 19, the seven sons of Seba? They go and they say, well, man, this is awesome. We, we've watched uh, these people and, and we, we know how Paul operates and, and we're going to go cast out these demons out of these people. And that evil spirit that was in those people said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? Said if it was Jesus or it was Paul, we, we, we had acknowledged it, but we, who are you? Who are you that you, you tell us where to go and what to do? Who are you? You see, you've got to know who you are in Christ Jesus so that whenever the enemy, and you can encounter the enemy and questions your kingdom authority, you, you begin to let him know exactly who you are. You tell him, I'm the redeemed, I'm the chosen, I'm the called out, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I'm the son, the daughter of the most high God, I, I'm joint heirs with Christ Jesus, amen, what Jesus did I do, hallelujah, amen, I'll tell you who I am, Mr. Devil, I am the son of God. I'm the daughter of God. I am of the royalty of Christ of heaven. Amen. And so when we don't know that, then we just go around shooting in the dark and guessing. Right? And most of us have become victims of identity theft. Where most of us have been taught more about how we were in Adam than who we are in Christ. Amen. We've been taught how that we were this and we were that and, and all of it relates to an atomic nature and who we were in Adam. But the Bible teaches us that Adam died and now Christ lives, right? And ministry that flows from an old covenant paradigm will always preach what disqualifies you and show you how bad that you are, right? They will give you all this list of reasons why the God's not moving in the church. And they'll tell you why that you're having such a bad time is because you're not living holy and you're not doing this and you're not doing that and, and because you, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and they put all that heavy load on your shoulders. And we've been taught how to to modify the behavior of Adam so that we have created sin management programs where that we're just trying to keep people into a sin management program instead of letting them know they have been redeemed and set free from the curse of the law. Amen. The problem is if you preach, you're preaching Adam, then you're preaching about the wrong man. <laughs> Amen. When we preach Christ, who he is, and what he has done for us, it will create a faith on the inside of people that they will become believers. What is a believer? A believer is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these signs shall follow them that believe. 
In my name they shall cast out devils, they will speak with new tongues, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Signs and wonders and miracles will follow them that believe. Believers don't follow signs, signs follow the believer. And so as we allow the Father to communicate to our hearts who we truly are in Him, we will uh, identify and understand that we then take the keys of the kingdom and we unlock the doors in the earth. What doors? We unlock the doors of salvation. We unlock the doors of healing. We unlock the doors of deliverance. And all of heaven's resources begin to invade the earth once again because we know who we are in Christ Jesus. And he has given us delegated authority in the earth to unlock resources. Amen. What do keys do? You don't need a key for a door that is not locked. You need a key for a door that has been locked up. Huh? And there's been a lot of key doors locked up because people have been preaching Adam instead of preaching Christ. And preaching us under guilt and condemnation and all of that mess. But we've got to understand that we are not a wretched worm. That we are not somebody that's just an old sinner. But we have been redeemed. We have been made new. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're thankful for that today, won't you give him some kind of praise? See, God wants to invade the earth with heaven. But he's got to have some delegated authority. He's got to have some people in the earth that understand kingdom authority. He has to have some mature sons and daughters in the earth that will unlock the keys, unlock the doors. He's given us the keys, but we've got to know who we are so the keys will work. Amen? Amen. You, it doesn't have, it does you no good to have a set of keys if you don't know how to use them. Right? You can have keys to every car in this lot out here. But if you don't, if you are not, uh, uh, have the mind, if you're just, I'm talking young, you know, two, three years old, whatever, and you can give them to all them toddlers and they'll have all kinds of horns going off, but they ain't going to have nothing started. Because even though they have the keys and they have access, they don't know how to use what has been placed in their hand. And whenever we became a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave to us the keys of the kingdom. But we've got to come into a maturity of understanding how to use those keys so that whenever we walk up to a door and the door is locked in prayer, come on somebody, and we pray in, but the door is locked. We say, all right, we have access to this door of healing. And so we take the key of healing and unlock the door and say, you, you shall be healed. You shall live and not die and declare the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Whenever we've got family members that are living in sin, it looks like they're more in love with the devil than they are God. And where prayers seem like they're not doing anything, but we've got the key of salvation. 
and we unlock that door and say, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the blood of Jesus, we declare that you are a child of God. And we pray into that situation and we believe, God, that that door of deliverance and salvation is open and they will walk through that door. Because any time that somebody is lost, any time somebody is in sin, it's because they're blinded. There's nobody in their right mind that wouldn't accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. There's nobody that, that, that uh, and I ain't down talking to people. I'm just saying reality, Brother John. There's nobody in their right mind that would, would uh, and didn't have blinders on. Are you with me? And didn't understand the love of the Father, the grace of God, that you, when you die, you in, through this earth, in, in this earth, you're going to have the favor of the Father upon your life. But when you die, you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. I mean, who's going to neglect that kind of salvation? Right? But the blinders are on. The doors are locked. And somebody in the kingdom has to unlock the door so the light can get in and take the blinders off of their spiritual eyes and the heart that is hardened can be softened so they can respond to the message of the kingdom and their life will be transformed and changed. You see, in a democracy, we, we live in a democracy and we have a department of health and human services. Right? That might be cleaning. In the kingdom, we have the ministry of health and healing. Right? Ernest Angley, I'm sure most people over 40 or 50 know who he is, but I knew because he was from Akron. He died last year at 99 years old. Uh, he was an interesting individual, but at the same time, People around the world knew him. He was put in prison in other countries for practicing medicine without a license because he didn't have medicine bottles and people would come to his meetings and he would pray for them and they would get healed and so they put him in prison for healing sick people without a license. That was his ministry. That's what he was known for. And whenever they put him in the prison and for that the only request that he had is they tried to take his bible from him and he said please don't take my bible we have the department of healing of miracles in a democracy we have the department of defense the kingdom of heaven has a ministry of defense if you're an intercessor you you may be even the head of ministry of defense because you are, you are doing warfare ahead of time, out in front, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Because we live in a democracy, many times we don't think in terms of how the kingdom operates. But Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And he says... That means that a yes on the earth is also a yes in heaven. That a no on the earth is also a no in heaven. In other words, I'm going to back you up. 
I've given you this delegated authority. There's no worse thing than being put into a position in the natural, being put into a position in middle management, right? And middle management, and you are in the middle of that thing, and, and knowing that those who put you there are not going to back you up. That's a, that's a terrible place to be. That is the worst place to be. But whenever God gave us delegated authority, he tells Peter, if you say yes in the earth, I'm going to say yes in heaven. If you say no in the earth, I'm going to back it up in heaven, right? I'm going to echo in heaven what you say in the earth. And so the writer of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs said, where the word of the king is, there is power. Where the word of the king is, there is power. He is first king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. We are both kings and priests as well. And God has given us delegated authority to us as believers to execute kingdom business here in the earth. Right? And so the sons and the daughters of God are carrying out kingdom authority in the earth. But do you know who you are? If you don't know who you are, you're not going to go up to the devil and tell the devil, you've got to go. If you don't know who you are, if you don't know, let me make, say it like this. If you are a landowner and you don't know where your boundary are, boundaries are and someone comes to put a fence in and, and puts it over 10 feet on your, your yard but you don't know who, where your boundaries are. You, you may think and you may argue with them but you're not going to be a matter of fact with them until you know where your boundary is. Am I right? But whenever you get a survey by professionals and someone that says this is where the boundary is, then you know a matter of fact and you can say you can waste your money if you want to, but you're going to be moving that fence up out of here and putting it over there. You can say that matter of factly, right? And that's what we have to be with the enemy. We don't need to be guessing. We, don't need, we need to know his word. And we need to know our rights and our delegated authority. And say, look here, Mr. Devil. It may look like you're winning. It may look like that you're putting that boundary up. It may look like. But I'm telling you, I have delegated authority in the earth. And in the name of Jesus, this mountain is going to move. This situation is going to change. This boundary is going to be reduced because God is with me and I know the power that I have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Who are you? Who are you? You know, I, I know being raised up in the Pentecostal church, we were taught we were wretched worms. We were just old sinners. Right? Nobody else has been taught that way. But we must lose our losing mentality. You must lose your losing mentality. If you have a losing mentality, you're never going to win. Right? 
you've got a mindset, you're a loser, guess what? You're right. But if you've got a mindset, you're a winner, guess what? You're right. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? I mean, you take it into sports. That's the hearts. WVU pulled out one this week. They won. Marshall laid an egg. As they usually do. Right? <laughs> LSU won last night, John. Just so you all know. The tide met a tsunami, and I couldn't be happier. But the mentality that you have has a lot to do with the outcome. Can we agree? If you think all the time that you're sick, everything coming down the road is going to hit you physically. If you think that, that, that you, you, are, you are a loser, then you're going to be a loser. If you think that, that, that nothing ever works good for you, nothing ever happens good in your life, guess what? It's not going to happen good in your life. Because that's the way you think in your heart. That's the way you see yourself. And we've got to get rid of the losing mentality. This concept that I am a loser. The message of John the Baptist was one of repentance. It's to change one's mind, right? And we've got to have a renewed mind. We have to have a transformed mind. We have to have the mind of Christ. And it's not only to turn from something, but it is to turn towards something. It isn't good enough to turn away from the law, but you have to turn toward grace. It doesn't do you any good just to turn from the government of condemnation but you have to turn toward the government of affirmation. You have to turn from the old covenant, but you've got to turn toward the new covenant. You've got to turn from the government of the law and turn toward the government of the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's look here at John's gospel and, and look at, or excuse me, his diet, because when we see what John's diet was, we can see how that you can get a losing mentality or lose your losing mentality. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness from Judah and saying, Repent you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for that, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his remnant of, of camel's hair and leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Locust and wild honey. What I want to look at there is that last phrase, and his meat was locust and wild honey. I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit would think it is important to tell us what John's diet was. 
But I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate something here much deeper than what John was eating of locusts and wild honey. I'm reminded of the scriptures that Moses called the 12 leaders of the children of Israel together to go in and spy out the land of Canaan. And 10 of the, excuse me, 10 of the spies came back with an evil report. And their report consisted of how big their enemy was, how thick the walls of Jericho was, and the whole host of reasons why they were unable to take the land. Then finally their perception of themselves came out and they, they said that perhaps it was the most damaging because they said that we are like grasshoppers in our, in our enemy's sight, right? They believed that they looked like grasshoppers to their enemy, and so they imposed that upon themselves. But in Numbers chapter 13, in verse 33, is an interesting scripture here. And there we saw giants, the son of Achan, which came from the giants, and were, we were in their own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So we were in their side. And so we, out of a loser mentality, will impose upon ourselves the idea that we are grasshoppers, that we're too weak, that we're too anemic, that we're unable, that we're unqualified, that we don't have this and we don't have that. And so we impose upon ourselves the mindset that the enemy is greater than we are. But I would like to compare these ten spies to the mindsets that dominate uh, us through our lives and look at that through the Ten Commandments and the government of the commandments and the condemnation the Bible says. Amazing enough, the message of the defeat is impending, uh, doom is coming, and most of the people believe that that is what is coming. You, you listen to people on the news and you listen to preaching and all of this and it's all gloom and despair just like the ten spies. But I'm concerned that in an hour in which we live, we are seeing that the majority of the people are looking at how big the enemy is instead of looking at how big our God is. Our God established the heavens and the earth, and we're worried about a little devil that's been defeated. Huh? We're running around hopeless and act like we don't have no hope, and we act like that, that the earth, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And what I want to say is, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Huh? Let's magnify Jesus. Let's make him large. Let's, let's make him high and lift it up again. Magnify the Lord with me. In other words, let's preach how big God is, how strong God is, how, how courageous and anointed people function and operate in the kingdom with kingdom authority because we know how big our God is. Right? Let's begin to preach the message of affirmation that, that tells people that you're the head and not the tail that it tells them greater is he that is in you than all of the world that can come against you. 
Tell them that no matter what weapon is formed against you, it will not prosper, right? Because we have to have another spirit like Joshua and Caleb that declared we're well able to take this land. We're well able. I'm weary with this message of the latest message is coming off of the news broadcast. God's timetable is not determined by the present day events. It never has been and never will be, right? I'm telling you today that we, we are crippling the kingdom of God by all of this kind of foolishness. We need to hear the sounds of heaven because we have marginalized the people of God by trying to put us into a little frame or a format of what is going on in the earth. I don't care what the majority of the preachers are saying or what is going on. I want to hear the words of heaven. I want to know my God. And if I know my God and I know who, I am, then I walk in kingdom authority, and it doesn't matter if the Pope is dead or the Queen is dead or there's a red heifer in Israel. I don't care about none of that. What I want to know is who God is and who I am so that I can stand in my position and declare that the kingdom of God has come unto us. believe this generation is much like Joshua and Caleb and we have to see the God of heaven. Our emphasis must be on how big God is and how huge the fruit of the land is <laughs> and that it is flowing with milk and honey. I want to declare how qualified you are. I want to declare how righteous you are. I want to declare how equipped you are. I want to declare that you and I are the people of the Most High God, right? I want to declare that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, then it doesn't matter who is against us. No weapon formed against us is going to prosper. These grasshoppers or these locusts speak of losing mentality. Just walk with me here. John's message of the kingdom with government of affirmation was designed to consume and to eat up all of the locusts. Are you with me? The, king, the message that John came preaching was to, to devour all of the locusts that had been eating the harvest. Remember Joshua and Caleb's words, they are bread for us, he said. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 6. I want to start in 6 and verse 9. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb and the son of uh, Japhanee, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all of the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which you pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into a, this land and give it to us, a land which is flowing with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Did you see that? Don't fear the people, for they are food for us. Right? They're bread for us. Neither are... For a their and their departed from them, 
and the Lord is with us, fear them not. The promised land is the old covenant, which is a piece of real estate. In the new covenant, the promised land is a rest that is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, in the old covenant, they did not enter in because of unbelief, right? The writer of the Hebrews admonished us to fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest that we would come up short of it. The word not is not mixed with faith, and the reason that they did not enter in is because they did not have the faith to enter in. So if the message that you're hearing is not producing faith, then it is not the gospel. Right? John the Baptist introduced the gospel of the kingdom, and his message was eating up the locusts with its um, losing mentality that it could come from an old covenant paradigm of condemnation. He said it's time to do away with that. The, that from the days of John the Baptist, Jesus said, until now. Right? And when he said until now, it suggests, and you can even study it out, that there is a shift that's about to take place. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but now the violent take it by force. And there is a shift in the kingdom. What is that shift? It is a shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. It's a shift from law to grace. It is a shift from a losing mentality to a victorious mentality. Right? And so... What John was releasing was a message that ate up the mentality of a loser, condemnation. And then it was because it was eating up the locusts, it brought wild honey to his lips. Remember, honey was flowing from the promised land, not the law, but from grace. It's a sweetness that flows from a living in the promised land. What is the promised land? It's the land called Christ and his finished work. Amen? It's the honey and the milk that is under the tongue of the bride, Christ, that is in the Song of Solomon. It's the honey that is coming from the rock that David spoke of in Psalms and said Jesus is that rock. Amen. It's the eye and lightning substance uh, that Jonathan found dripping from the trees of the wood during the slaughter of the Philistines. It's the answer to the third day riddle of Samson who found honey in the carcass of the lion. It's the message of the riddle is very simple. The lion is the king and the king is Jesus. Amen. The three days and three nights of a person, of a person on the work of Jesus Christ declared to us that out of death, burial, and resurrection of the king comes a sweetness of a promised land that is flowing with milk and honey 
because the victorious king has risen and the kingdom of God is here. Amen. Amen. Now we're not a wretched church, we're a victorious church. Right? Now we're something that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Amen. If you believe this, then you have repented and you've changed your mind and you've, you've moved from death to life. You've moved from defeat to victory. You've, you've moved from the mindset of losing to a mindset that I will always win and never lose. Always. You begin to destroy the locusts in your life. You begin to destroy the locusts that have come to devour the goodness of the vines of God that have been put in your life. And you yourself have, have lost that losing mentality because you, you're using the giants for your bread. Amen. We eat the locusts. John the Baptist was a bug eater. He devoured the devourers. Come on, somebody. And that's what he brought to the kingdom. That's, that's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. So let's look a little closer at these locusts. According to the book of Leviticus, we are allowed to eat locusts and grasshoppers. thought you might like to know that. Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 22. It said, even these of them you may eat. The locust after his kind, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind. Does anybody want to go to lunch? Now, how many believe that that's more than just a natural thing, but that, that there's something spiritual that he's speaking to here? He's speaking prophetically. We're looking at these locusts and grasshoppers as loser mentality. And God says, I give you permission to devour that, to destroy it, to get rid of it, right? And let's look here in the book of Joel, and at this progression, in Joel 4 and 1. It says, and what the crawling locust left, the swarming locust eats. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust eats. And what the hopping locust left, the stripping locust has eaten, Right? This passage speaks of the enemy that comes in and will invade Israel and completely destroy the fig trees, the corn, the wine, and the oil. And it is a literally uh, wreaked havoc in the land, and this was fulfilled historically in 70 AD whenever they, they invaded Roman uh, armies. And so Peter confirms this in Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and following. But he said, but what am I after here in, in this text? What am I looking at here? It is that these locusts have a progression to them. Follow my line of thought here. They're losing mentality. And the losing mentality starts out as a crawling locust. Right? And then it builds to a progresses to a swarming locust. And if it's not dealt with, it becomes a hopping locust and ends as a sweeping locust or a stripping locust. 
In other words, the losing mentality starts small. It's just crawling around. It starts with, you'll never amount to anything. Just crawling around. Who do you think you are? Just crawling around. And if it's not dealt with in its infant stage, It'll start hopping around. It gets power, gets bigger, gets stronger. We become very, it gets into our worldview. Right? Everybody else has got it good, but I'll never have it good. It gets into our worldview. I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve to be blessed. I don't deserve. And we become pessimistic. And then even our eschatology becomes skewed. And, and we become to think gloom and despair and, and, and agony on us. And all that we're, we're the victim instead of the victor. But I'd rather preach a kingdom of God that is leaven. That once you get the leaven, you get the whole lump. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I'd rather preach about being victorious and optimistic than I would pessimistic. Because I believe that Jesus really is the King of kings and that he is the Lord of lords. I really believe that he is the light that overcomes darkness and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I really believe that he is the son of the losing God or living God. And so whenever we begin to believe that and we begin to receive that, then how can I be a, a wretched worm? How can I be a loser if my father is the king of everything? mentalities are embraced by groups of people then they become swarming locusts and then they carry it from group to group and become hopping locusts and the first thing you know it begins to perpetuate doctrines that cripple and rob God's people of maturity they don't ever come to the place of Corn. They don't ever come to the place of wine. They don't ever come to the place of the oil. Corn representing maturity. Uh, wine representing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Oil representing the anointing for breakthrough that destroys yokes and removes burdens. And if, if we can, if can keep us in this loser mentality, we'll never come to that maturity. And now the locusts are stripping. And the result of spiritual famine is lack of corn, wine, and oil. So no maturity, no outpouring, no breakthrough. And then the granaries are empty. The cattle and the sheep are groaning for food. And the, the barns are empty. And, and because of a losing mentality is perpetuated, the people are starving to death. 
I believe that there has to be a massive shift in the body of Christ. There has to be a shift in the body of Christ where that we understand that we are embrace the milk and the honey that is flowing, that we are in a living in a finished work of Christ. And from that promised land is milk and honey that is flowing. And it gives us a message of hope. It's a message of the kingdom of God is at hand and that we can rejoice because why? The devil is defeated, Adam is dead, and Jesus is Lord. Amen. And what will that do whenever that message is preached? Well, I'll tell you what it will do. It will restore the corn of maturity. It will restore the wine of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit will begin to flow in the church again. And the anointing for breakthrough will be available and upon us to destroy yokes of bondages not only in our life but generations to come because we know who we are in Christ Jesus. The only question that remains this morning is this, who are you? Are you one of the ten spies that are being pessimistic and looking in? Or are you with Joshua and Caleb that says, I know who God is and I know who I am and we are well able to take this land. We're well able to take this land. I believe today that we're well able, don't you? I'm not just talking about it. I'm not just trying to hype you up. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. If I didn't believe it, I could lay this microphone down today, walk from this pulpit, Never preach another gospel message and say it is well with my soul and go sell real estate. But you know why I preach the gospel? You know why I study every week? You know why I get in a car and drive four or five, six hours to preach one message only to turn it around? You know why I go to the nations of the earth? Because I believe this message. I believe it. And I don't believe for a millisecond that God is done with his church. And I don't believe for a millisecond that this is what God intended for the last day. Amen. So therefore, great hope is in me, Johnny, that there is a better day coming. So I'm going to preach not out of a law of condemnation and guilt, but out of the grace and the mercy of the finished work of Christ, that we are victors and we're the head and not the tail. Amen. We're going to preach it. We're going to declare it. And the kingdom of God is going to be established in the earth. And sons and daughters are going to come from afar and from the ends of the earth. Amen. Praise God. I believe it. Do you? I believe it. I believe it. If we know who we are, we know who he is. Jesus told him, Peter, this is your assignment. This is what I need you to know. You want to work in kingdom principles? Know who I am and know who you are. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Stand with me today. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. I've done my best to share what you placed in my heart for this day. 
uh, ask you, God, that you would confirm this word in our hearts and in our lives. God, that it's more than just a good, good talk or a good speech or even a good sermon. But God, let it, let it lodge in our spiritual soul today. Let there be a renewing and a transforming and a change in our hearts and in our lives, I pray this morning. And God, let us declare the goodness of the Lord. Let us know that we truly are the head and not the tail, that we are more than conquerors through you that loved us. Let us live in a finished work of grace and of Jesus Christ and not under the law of guilt and condemnation. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And I thank you for that today. Let there be a renewing of our minds and a transforming in our spirits that we understand full well the assignment of heaven that has been placed upon our life for this season. And we give you thanks and praise for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I understand this morning this is more of a, a pastoral message and something for you to consider. But if you have come today and you need special prayer, you need a touch of God, or by all means, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this is a great day to accept Christ as your Savior. Amen? Praise God. And so if you would like prayer this morning, we invite you to come. We want to pray with you on today. testimony today, but before we go, we can be seated for a minute. Hallelujah. Everybody happy? All right. How are we doing this morning? 